Hey guys, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the worlds of fitness and nutrition. Today, we're going to talk all about preserving muscle in a contest prep, so get ready and let's get started. Alrighty guys, so I have already written an article on this topic, so if you are a visual learner and you need to be able to see what I'm saying in order for it to filter through your mind, because that's the way I am, please head over to my website or you can head over to the Medium link I put in my IG story. Um, I'll make sure that that is clickable in my stories for the science talk and then as well as putting this podcast in writing on my website. Okay, so let's start off by saying that contest prep and competing in a bodybuilding competition requires a lot of hard work, dedication, and consistency. It takes time and patience in order to grow a muscle base that is required to do well on stage, and the contest prep diet should be aimed at preserving that lean muscle tissue while dropping body fat. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to briefly go into strategies and components to preserving muscle mass in a contest prep. First off, we need to describe what energy availability is, and then I'll dive into fat loss, how long you should be in a fat loss state, as well as how much rate of loss you should have. So energy availability describes how much energy is available for basic metabolic functions, including reproduction, immunity, and skeletal homeostasis. So low energy availability leads to metabolic and hormonal adaptations, such as a reduced metabolic rate, reduced NEAT, which is non-exercise-induced thermogenesis, drops in thyroid hormones, and alterations in sex hormones. For males, specifically testosterone in females, estrogen, and progesterone. In females specifically, low energy availability can lead to amenorrhea, aka loss of the menstrual cycle, which we do not want. It's also imperative to prevent HPA dysfunction, which is hypothalamic pituitary axis dysfunction that can occur in in contest prep dieting. It also can occur in dieting in general, and low energy availability is not something that only happens in contest prep. It happens for anybody in a dieting state. Low energy availability also leads to psychological and physiological distress. So keeping food as high as possible and maximizing energy availability helps limit the negative effects that occur with dieting in contest prep. So Rate of weight loss and the amount of a caloric deficit should be tailored to creating a sustainable, slow, and progressive deficit. Greater deficits and faster weight loss can lead to greater losses of muscle mass. Weight losses of 0.5% to 1% of body weight per week. So for a 150-pound person, that means a maximum of 1.5 pounds per week is suggested to maximize muscle retention. Not only does a large amount of weight loss per week create increased loss of lean muscle tissue, but it can also put one at risk for gallstones. And this is specifically something I have seen in clinical practice is with people um, losing a lot of weight quickly and then especially with people with malabsorption issues, this leads to gallstones. So though weight loss is expected, one should keep in mind the um, potential 
of body recomposition as well with um, contest prep diets. And body recomposition involves the increase of lean muscle mass and the decrease of body fat. So make sure that you don't use the scale as the sole dictator of your progress. Know that the scale is a tool um, and that you should focus on using the scale as that tool and utilizing progress photos body measurements, and valid markers of body fat testing, such as the DEXA to assess your progress. Um, I know there's various different techniques that you can also use in regards to measuring your body fat, like body fat calipers, the bod pod, the in-body. However, the most reliable indicator is the DEXA and underbody, um, underwater weighing. Now, in going into the timing of how long you should be in a caloric deficit, it should be noted that the longer you're in a deficit, typically the lower your calories get. Um, This is not the case, though, for everyone because some people also incorporate refeeds and they incorporate diet breaks, which is I'll also talk about that later in this podcast. But for a contest prep, I definitely do not suggest going over a 16-week mark. I know it's nowadays some people are doing a 20-week contest prep. And hey, if that's what works for you, that's okay as long as you're taking care of your body and preventing um, psychological and physiological um, negative effects of dieting. But um, in general, just try and keep your contest prep as short as possible to prevent these negative side effects. Now, let's talk protein. Protein intake is critical in reducing the loss of muscle mass, enhancing the anabolic response to training, and promoting recovery. Protein also plays a major role in increasing satiety and reducing hunger levels. Protein needs in a contest prep exceed needs in both a caloric surplus and maintenance period, meaning that you need more protein when you're in a contest prep and dieting than you do if you're just maintaining your weight or trying to gain lean muscle. Increasing protein to 30% of calories can help reduce lean muscle mass loss compared to a lower protein intake of 15% of calories. Protein needs range from 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. There is some evidence to protein overfeeding, which is greater than 3 grams per kilogram of body weight. Um, not having any negative effects on fat loss and potentially in helping with fat loss. This is likely due to the thermic effect of feeding. However, my general suggestion is just stick to the, I like to keep clients from the two to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. Or if you want to make it easy on yourself, one gram, um, per pound of body weight. However, when you climb up into the higher amounts of body weight, you don't need that much because you really have to focus on the lean muscle tissue. Um, and the the tissue, the body fat with people, obe- obese individuals is not as metabolically active, so they need less protein than that one gram per pound. Um, in regards to protein timing, spreading protein intake throughout the day is suggested at 20 to 30 grams per meal. I'll also dive more into timing later. So spreading meals out every three to four hours is suggested to help maximize that muscle protein synthesis. Protein intake should also be of high quality and athletes should ensure that their sources contain 
all essential amino acids in order to maximize muscle protein synthesis. For vegans or vegetarians, this may mean combining multiple sources of dietary protein. It has been shown that a pea and rice protein blend may be able to stimulate similar changes in fat-free mass and strength as a whey protein alternative. On the contrary, low-quality proteins such as soy or wheat um, or soy or wheat protein fail to stimulate MPS to the same degree as high quality alternatives. So high quality sources of protein containing all essential amino acids include whey, casein, eggs, egg whites, chicken, turkey, fish, lean cuts of beef or pork, and milk. A complete protein has all essential amino acids. However, this does not take into account leucine content, which also is important when choosing dietary protein sources. So you should pay attention to leucine content. And two to three grams of leucine is suggested per serving to maximize the anabolic response. Something to note about extra protein is you really do not need anything more than three grams per kilogram. I know I mentioned the overfeeding. However, with overfeeding, you also have to take into account what's going to happen in the body when you do that. So extra protein in the body converts to glucose, and it also can be stored as fat. Now, it's highly unlikely based on the studies that have been done that it's going to be stored as body fat. However, it is highly likely that it'll be converted to glucose. Just something to keep in mind. Now, I have briefly mentioned that vegetarians and vegans need to watch out for their sources of protein. So make sure that your source of protein has high biologically available protein and that you're getting all of your essential amino acids throughout the day. Um, I know it's it's becoming very common for people to use collagen as a dietary source of protein. And I want to make it clear, collagen is not a complete protein and should not replace your protein for a meal. If you are going to use collagen protein, add it to an additional protein source. If you have further questions on eating vegan or further questions on vegetarian sources of protein, I have done a vegan podcast with another friend dietitian, so make sure you check back in my feed. A high protein intake suggested at the 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilogram does not show detrimental effects on kidney, which is renal function, in healthy individuals. If one has altered kidney function, then they should be seeing a health professional. So basically what I'm saying is you don't have to worry if you are healthy, you have gotten blood work done and your um, renal function looks good, then you don't have to worry about protein affecting your kidneys. Um, I'm not going to dive into anabolics in this. Um, I know that anabolics are used by elite and professional bodybuilders, but it's not something that I want to talk about on this podcast, um, and I definitely do not suggest them because they can compromise health, which includes renal, liver, and cardiovascular function. Quick note on fat, dietary fat is essential, specifically omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, but I will not dive into dietary fat too much here. Dietary fat needs to be kept as high as possible to prevent negative hormonal changes. Um, It has been shown that a higher fat diet can help decrease um, HPA dysfunction in females and maintain circulating testosterone in males. It is also important to note that fat-soluble vitamins such as vitamin A, D, and K require fat for absorption. Not having dietary fat can prevent absorption and use of essential vitamins 
nutrients in the body. So make sure that you, if you are somebody and you're having a salad, you are not absorbing all the nutrients in that salad unless you have a good amount of dietary fat in your diet. So make sure that you're consuming that and you are getting the most bang for your buck there. A percentage of 15 to 30% of calories minimum is recommended for dietary fat. I personally never let my athletes go below 30 grams of fat and I try and keep it to a minimum of 35 to 40 grams of fat minimum. Um, I Scarily, I have seen some contest prep diets and people show me their diets to where they're eating like 10 grams of fat and that is not okay whatsoever. Red flag, if you have a contest prep, um, if you have a coach doing your contest prep and your diet has your fats that low, run, okay? Because that's not okay. Now, quick note on omega-3s, because I'm a firm believer in them. There's mixed evidence on the benefits preventing cardiovascular disease with fish oil. However, there is substantial evidence that fish oil may decrease eicosanoid production, which can decrease inflammation in the body and help in reducing muscle soreness and fatigue, aiding in autoimmune disease, and even reducing symptoms of arthritis. It can help decrease fasting and postprandial levels of triglycerides glycerides um, because we definitely do not want high triglycerides. This leads to plaques within the arteries. Um, Omega-3s also contain EPA and DHA, which are two essential fatty acids needed in the body, and they play a key role in cell membrane stability. And also they can help decrease risk of cognitive decline. Some evidence um, is there for help helping to prevent depressive symptoms as well as anxiety and um, helping to improve eye health. So basically fish oil is the bomb. Make sure you use it. I suggest people use around one gram of fish um, oil a day or having two servings of fatty fish per week. And um, this means also taking into account DHA and EPA levels because not all fish oils are the same. So look at your labels. So have at least 500 milligrams of DHA and EPA combined. Many SUPs have pretty much only 100 to 250 milligrams of each. Um, So definitely make sure you are looking at those labels. Now let's go into carbohydrates. Carbohydrates should be maximized for energy and recovery. There are many strategies that can be used to create a caloric deficit, which include a moderate carbohydrate intake, low carbs, ketogenic, and using carb cycling. In an insulin-resistant individual, a lower-carb diet may be beneficial. Carbohydrates should be used in time to help someone perform optimally in the gym and have adequate recovery. They can also play an essential role in maximizing insulin sensitivity, which is highest around your training sessions. So strategies to help include um, ensuring to consume a pre- and post-workout meal with carbohydrates of 30 to 40 grams with adequate protein of 20 to 30 grams. It's important to know that glycogen replenishment after weight training is not essential as muscle and liver glycogen stores are far from depleted. However, the ingestion of carbohydrates post-workout can be beneficial in maximizing insulin sensitivity and recovery. So pre and post-workout meal consumption depends on timing of your previous meal's intake. 
If someone just consumed a meal um, within an hour before working out, post-workout is less important and waiting a few hours to eat a post-workout meal will not lead to detrimental effects and you're not gonna lose your gains. The protein digested in the previous meal will prevent muscle mass depletion and blood amino acid levels are still gonna be elevated. Consuming a meal a few hours after your lift when amino acids fall can be a great way to spread your meals out and still achieve adequate recovery and spike muscle protein synthesis. If one has not consumed a meal within three to four hours prior to working out or just had a carbohydrate only pre-workout, then consuming a fast digested protein in a meal immediately post-workout is warranted and highly suggested in order to spike muscle protein spike muscle protein synthesis and enhance growth and recovery. There is some evidence to intra-workouts of essential amino acids and a carbohydrate blend, um, such as a branch-chain cyclic dextrin, helping to minimize muscle loss and improving recovery within um, a caloric deficit. However, more data is warranted to uh, conclude the benefits of an intra-drink. If you want to learn more about the intra-drink, you can also check back in my feed. I did a podcast with... John Meadows, a.k.a. The Muscle Dog, so make sure you check that out. It should be noted that carbohydrate choice can influence somebody's blood sugar levels, insulin response, and rate of glycogen resynthesis. Different types of carbohydrates can also be metabolized at different rates in skeletal muscle, though different um, through different glucose transporters within the cells. The majority of dietary carbohydrates should come from whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and whole foods, with limiting added sugars and refined grains. However, if somebody meets their micronutrient needs, um, refined carbohydrate options can serve as a fast digesting carbohydrate and can be incorporated into the diet in moderation. I'm a firm believer in moderation. So hit your micros, get approximately 85 to 90% of your foods from whole foods, and then you can have a little bit of fun. Carbohydrate intake after training will not enhance the anabolic response to a meal and it will not help further simulate muscle protein synthesis, but carbohydrates are very important for helping with recovery and glycogen resynthesis. Now let's dive a little into meal timing. So in regards to overall meal timing, consuming three meals at a minimum is suggested to ensure maximizing muscle protein synthesis. There are no benefits to consuming five or six meals over four meals. One should focus on their needs and what fits best in their schedule. Overall caloric and macronutrient intake, taking advantage of the insulin and the muscle protein synthesis response to training, pre-workout fuel and post-workout recovery are what matters the most. Some competitors find four larger meals more satiating than six smaller meals, while others may enjoy six meals, which is better for their digestion or just their work schedule. So some people, in addition, may also find intermittent fasting is a tool to help reduce hunger, balance blood sugar levels, and spread their meals out. You should really focus on your needs and your lifestyle. Um, note that the ingestion of a casein slash whey blend or a casein blend prior to sleep may help to increase muscle protein synthesis rates and aid in preserving lean muscle mass. It also may play a role in improving recovery. So just a note on meal timing, um, I do suggest having a meal before you go to bed because of this reason, as well as having that um, 
having carbohydrates and protein before you go to bed can help you have better sleep and have a better REM sleep. I will not be diving into intermittent fasting. I have done several other podcasts on it, so make sure you check back in my feed. However, do know that intermittent fasting can be used can be used as a tool in contest prep. However, there is the potential downside of muscle loss due to less spikes in muscle protein synthesis, um, less meals, um, and an anabolic response throughout the day. Um, I personally have done intermittent fasting in my contest preps. I always do intermittent fasting. I have not noticed um, any changes. However, I have never done a contest prep without intermittent fasting. Um, I have... I definitely am a firm believer in intermittent fasting for its longevity benefits, digestion benefits, benefits in blood sugar regulation. However, do note that there is that possibility. Alrighty, now let's talk about refeeds. Refeeds are an awesome tool to use in both general dieting and contest prep to help negate the negative effects of dieting and help break plateaus. So to explain a refeed, a refeed is increasing carbohydrates while staying roughly at or slightly above maintenance calories in order to elicit a leptin, thyroid, and hormonal response. When dieting, leptin levels get depleted. Leptin is the thermometer that tells your body to raise or lower your metabolism and essentially acts like a switch for fat loss, telling the body when there's enough energy and fuel available. The higher the body fat is, the higher leptin is. As weight loss progresses, leptin decreases, which also decreases the metabolic rate, which can lead to a plateau. Drops in leptin also increase ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. So, refeeds utilize carbohydrates specifically because leptin is more um, responsive to carbohydrate than fat. Consuming fat added instead of a carbohydrate does not produce that same effect. This is why refeeds are a calculated tool for dieting rather than doing cheat meals or free meals, which can be beneficial for psychological purposes, but refeeds are highly beneficial for physiological purposes. In general, a refeed should be a period of two to three days. 24-hour refeeds don't provide much of a leptin response. However, some people do respond well to a 24-hour refeed. My suggestion is doing a two-day refeed at least. Diet breaks may also be highly beneficial and can help reduce stress levels and aid in breaking a plateau as well. Refeeds can be powerful to help refill those muscle glycogen levels as well as prevent catabolism of the muscle. The extra fuel from a refeed can help also push somebody harder in workouts and not only improve leptin levels but also thyroid levels. This is because the conversion of T4 to T3 T4 is the inactive thyroid hormone, and T3 is the active thyroid hormone, responds specifically to carbohydrate intake. This is why lower carbohydrate diets can also lead to troubles in thyroid and um, hormonal function due to changes in the HPA axis. Refeeds should utilize a carbohydrate intake of 1.5 to 2 times of your current carbohydrate intake with protein and fats adjusted in order to set calories at or slightly above maintenance. The carbohydrate choice should be made to prevent 
gastrointestinal upset. A refeed is essentially an aid for dieting and helps prime the metabolism for continued progress. Refeed frequency depends on how long somebody has been in a deficit, their current deficit amount, as well as their level of leanness. The longer you have dieted and the leaner that you are, the more often you should have a refeed. Refeeds are unnecessary if you are in the beginning stages of dieting when the um, physiological effects have yet to occur on your metabolism. So if you have just been dieting for two weeks, get over it. You do not need a refeed. Keynote on refeeds. They may produce spikes in body weight due to water weight and gastrointestinal upset. Since carbohydrates hold on to water, three grams of water for every one gram of carbohydrate, this spike in water weight can be hard on competitors, but just make sure you push through it and you know it's gonna happen. If you are still with me, that is the end for the nutrition portion. Now let's talk about training frequency and intensity. The goal is to minimize muscle loss in a contest prep. Though strength is not the focus, maintaining strength plays a critical role in helping to maintain muscle mass. In a contest prep, you should attempt to maintain your training volume and intensity. Switching to a higher rep or lower weight program can lead to muscle mass loss and it definitely decreases the overall volume of your workout. So don't do that. I typically have all my clients train the same in and out of contest prep. Muscle groups are recommended to be trained two times a week or more depending on your physique focus as well as your program block. Rep ranges should be around six to 12 rep ranges, um, rep range and 40 to 70 reps per muscle group or more is suggested with rest intervals at one to two minutes. Your lifts should be controlled with proper muscular tension, AKA no swinging or cheating of the weights. There are many splits that can be utilized, including full body, push-pull, or upper-lower splits. What matters most is overall training volume, intensity, and frequency of training. As training volume and frequency deserve their own um, discussion, I will not go into that here. I have done a podcast with Austin Current on this, however, so check back in my feed. I will be recommending to minimize muscle mass losses and to preserve leaning muscle tissue to maintain volume intent volume and intensity throughout your contest prep and aiming to continue to push yourself in the gym just like you would outside of a contest prep. Because I have, I know there are a lot of bikini girls listening to this podcast, something to note is I have used different training protocols with myself and my clients and I have found that making sure that you do leg days twice a week, as well as the addition of another glute day is highly beneficial for not only maintaining your glutes, but also possibly growing your glutes in a contest prep. Something to keep in mind, this can also be used for smaller muscle groups, such as your delts, your triceps, your um, biceps, but do know that overall doing like legs three times, four times a week is not suggested. Legs can be really hard, um, you know, for recovery to happen. So just be careful. Um, Those more compound lifts need to occur not more than twice a week. Now let's talk cardio. Cardio should be used as a tool and kept to a minimum during contest prep. LIST, which is low intensity steady state or MICT, which is moderate intensity continuous training, can help to increase NEAT in your caloric burn 
act as a recovery agent and limit interference with training recovery. However, it could be time consuming. HIT, which is high intensity interval training, may be used to help increase your caloric burn, but special attention must be made to its potential detrimental effects on recovery. Though HIT saves time and can alleviate that cardio boredom, HIT can reduce strength workout recovery, and relies on the oxidation of carbohydrates for fuel versus LIS, which relies more on fat oxidation. Uh, cardio choice should be made based on personal preference, time available, as well as keeping these things in mind. Um, in a systematic review done by Keating SE, it was concluded that MICT and HIT provide similar benefits on body fat reduction. So the choice of either type of cardio does not really appear to affect energy intake throughout the day as well. Quick note on fasted cardio training, as Bella is playing with um, my water bottle top on the floor. <laughs> um, um, in regards to fasted cardio, fasted cardio does not have benefits overfed and may be detrimental in regards to losing muscle mass. Now, if you are doing a contest prep and you need to lose muscle in your legs, then maybe fasted cardio may be something that you would want to do. However, for the most part, I know a lot of people don't want to lose size in their legs, so that is not suggested. Um, my suggestion is for all cardio is to be done after your resistance training or to split it up and do it after your training later in the day to ensure all your energy and strength is utilized in your weight training. Um, some people like to break it up, like I said, but my biggest suggestion is doing what works for your schedule and helps you perform your best. Quick notes on supplements. I'm not going to dive into them here, but their supplements can be used to help preserve lean muscle mass and aid in recovery, as well um, as help maintaining that muscle fullness. So common supplements that are used include creatine, omega-3 fatty acids, whey, casein, beta-alanine, BCAAs or EAAs, arginine and citrulline, glutamine, caffeine, multivitamins, probiotics, HMB, phosphatidic acid, and ZMA. What I currently use for um, maintaining muscle map mass purposes or overall health, I currently use creatine, omega-3 fatty acids, whey, a whey casing blend select from PE Science. I use high volume, which contains arginine and citrulline for that pump in the gym. I, Of course, I use caffeine because caffeine is life. I use multivitamins, I use a probiotic, and I use a ZMA. All right, guys, that concludes our podcast here. I have taken 30 minutes of your time, so if you are still listening, I want to thank you so much for bearing with me, and I hope that this was helpful and that it gives you some insight to helping to preserve muscle in a contest prep or just a diet in general. Everything that I said can be utilized in a diet, something to keep in mind. Um, I have in the description of this podcast, I have included a link for this full entire article. Every single thing, well, not every single thing, but almost everything that I said is in article form if you want to read it. So make sure that you check that out. And if you enjoy this podcast, please, 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 please leave a review and share it. 
in order to grow this podcast, in order for people to be able to even hear about it, I need the reviews. I need it to be shared. So if you do that, thank you. You are helping others changing lives. Okay. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Faith and Fit. Or it's at Uplift Fit Nutrition. If you want to contact me for anything regarding questions, topics, hit me up on email. My email is in the description. Wherever you are at in your day, I hope it is a fabulous day or night. See you guys later.